This week I've been thinking about the general mood that's prevailing in the nation and just reflecting on how it's been affecting me and also, by extension, I suppose, affecting all of you here at Harvest. And the general mood just seems to be one of weariness, heaviness. I've written here it might even border on depression and in some cases despair. And I'm sure that that may well be the case for some of you this morning. And I, I think it's just true to say that circumstances are wearing us down. Part of our team, uh, our harvest team, Grace, she went to go and have a regular checkup at the Mount Pleasant Clinic, and it's one of the few clinics that's actually working occasionally at the moment. Something that should have taken an hour just took her the entire day. She came back late, probably half past three, four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I was chatting to another friend who, who manages two manufacturing facilities that produce furniture to be exported out of the country. Um, and Zessa said, oh no, it's not a problem, we will ring fence your power. They're, people love to use these amazing expressions, don't they? Um, that is supposed to mean that Zessa never goes off for those factories. <laughs> but it's not the case. And so we all know what it's like. You have your backup, each factory has got its own massive generator. But then you've got to make sure that you have diesel in the tanks. Um, the power which is supposed to be ring-fenced at the one factory stopped. Guys came to him and said there's no diesel in the generator. But there is diesel in the generator at the other factory <laughs> where the power is. And so of course they had to make a plan as we all do. Siphon the diesel out, carry it down the road, put it in the other generator and so on and so forth. And it's just wearying, isn't it? It's just exhausting, it's tiring, and, it, and in circumstances like that, it's tempting to think that maybe asleep in on a Sunday morning, and maybe indulging in some other activity, or, or maybe no activity at all, which sounds pretty appealing to me, that maybe that's going to serve us a little bit better than meeting with the body. Life group, for example, suddenly just seems like a hurdle too far. Life group on a Thursday evening, or maybe a serving commitment that you have at church. It just feels like it's the last straw, the one thing that's just going to break the camel's back. And yet, these are the very activities that God has ordained um, and He has made as His provision for us so that we can have our tanks filled. Um, I, love, I love the illustration that Stephen Covey used. It's, it's been in my mind for years ever since I, re I read his book. It was the illustration of a man who's cutting trees. And he's starting to get really, really tired, but he's got an entire forest to cut down. But he won't stop to sharpen the axe. Why? Because if he stops to sharpen the axe, he won't be using that time to chop down trees. But of course, as he keeps chopping down the trees, his axe is, axe is getting more and more blunt and it's taking more and more effort to chop down the trees. We've actually got to stop, Stephen Covey says, and I agree with him wholeheartedly, happens to be a Mormon, and the truth isn't necessarily confined to Christians. We need to stop and sharpen the axe. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life in all its fullness. He wants us to invest our lives so that they count for eternity and so that we can enjoy the rewards of a life well lived for the rest of time. So how can we do it? 
How can we rise above this infinite weariness of living in Zimbabwe? How can we win that war of attrition? What do we need to do to stop and sharpen the axe? It's not that these other activities aren't important or don't have any value, but we need to make sure that the sharpening of the axe happens. To a woodcutter, that is fundamental to his work. And for us as Christians, there are equivalent activities that we need to indulge in so that we are effective and so that we can rise above this weariness. And that, of course, is what this whole toolbox series has been about. We've talked about how we, go, we turn to the Bible as a source of life. And, 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 and we've talked about hearing the voice of God. How do we hear the voice of God? Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. Continuous. Bread is something that we eat every day. It's a staple. How do we hear the voice of God? What about prayer? We've just finished talking about prayer. And today, we're going to talk about praise. Very simple um, outline for today. What is the definition of praise and why do we pray? So let's start with the definition. What does it mean to praise somebody? That's a definition, a secular definition from Webster, that to praise somebody is to say good things about someone or something. Now I think it's significant that it says to say, because I can think good things about Gail, I can think praiseworthy things about her, but it's only when I say them, when I express them, that they really start to have an effect, not only for her, but for me as well. <laughs> but even more so when others in our, in our family participate in the giving of the praise. And so I could say, wow, I love you, Gail, because you're such a great mother. And then Matthew will say, yes, remember the time when she sent me a kg of Freddo's when I was at university <laughs> in Stellenbosch. <laughs> I can't, was, it, was it Freddo's or was it, was it um, marshmallow eggs? I can't remember. You know, kids, kids from Zim have strange tastes. I don't, know, I don't know why you would ever want a kg of Freddo's, but that's what Gail sent. And so... The idea is that when we praise, we need to express something in some way. And so in Webster's definition, it's, we, the expression means saying. Praise needs to be expressed in order for it to be praise. But I wonder if this definition goes far enough. I'm sure you can see that it doesn't. What about singing good things about God? What about expressing our praise in other ways? I mean, when we think of it, uh, when we're praising people, sometimes we clap to show our appreciation. Um, sometimes we ululate. Um, I, just, I just loved seeing the Springboks dancing after they, after they won the World Cup. We express our praise and our joy and our happiness in lots of different ways. And I think that we should do it with God as well. And obviously the Bible does too. Have a look at the next slide. I was reading in a Bible dictionary an article about praise by R.S. Wallace, and those are the three words that come up the most in the Old Testament, halal, the root meaning of which is connected with making a noise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, that's what the Psalms say. Yada, that's originally associated with the actions that accompany praising. And then zamar associated with the playing or the singing of music. So it isn't enough to express our praise with the spoken word alone. As we express good things about God, our expression needs to include a celebration of those good things. 
So with instruments, singing, dancing, whistling, ululating, I know that it's culturally appropriate for, for, for pe people in Zimbabwe to ululate. I haven't heard ululation in, in harvest for a long time. And I hope that somebody who can ululate will give us a good ululation <laughs> the next time that we praise. Because I love it. I mean, I, I love, who was that? Rich, <laughs> were you like kind of warming up there for a ululation? <laughs> so we need to express and we need to celebrate. But what are those good things that we are to declare and to celebrate? Let's have a look at those next two definitions, if you could put them up there, from Piper and the NIV Study Bible. Um, when you look at that, we see that we express praise and we celebrate who he is and what he's done. That's sort of summed up in there, isn't it? God's character, his attributes, and the things that he's done, his goodness, his grace. Remember, grace is, is God's riches being poured out into our lives so that we can live in a way that honors and glorifies him. So we express and celebrate who he is and what he's done. But what else do we find from those definitions? Let's start with Piper there. Piper begins with the word recognizing. And that's in the sense of acknowledging the existence of. Not only that God exists, but also his character and his attributes as well. Now Paul tells us in Romans that this is what distinguishes Christians from non-Christians. Have a look at the slide, the next one. Romans 1, 18 to 21. At least one per person will stay awake during my preach. It's the guy who's changing the slides. Thanks, Simba. <laughs> Romans 1, 18 to 21. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. And what is the essence of that godlessness and wickedness? They suppress the truth by their wickedness. And what truth are they suppressing? Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. How has he made it plain? Next slide. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. This became very apparent to me uh, recently when we were watching one of those incredible wildlife documentaries that uh, Attenborough produces. And all the way through, the friend that we were watching it with would be saying things, isn't Mother Nature amazing? And almost ironically, isn't creation wonderful? And Gail and I, we weren't vocalizing it on that occasion. We were thinking, isn't God amazing? You know, so talk about suppressing the truth. To think that somehow all of this produced itself. And to say, isn't Mother Nature amazing? That in some sense, nature gave birth to all of this. It's a bit like walking along. I know that illustration's been used. I think it's from Charles Colson, where, where you're walking along a beach, and uh, suddenly you see this watch that's been washed up in the waves. And you pick it up, and you say, and this is the intricately designed, beautiful watch with jewels in it and amazing mechanism, and you open it up and you say, wow, look what the sand and the waves have produced. Isn't this amazing? <laughs> Suppressing the truth, not giving God the honor and the glory for who he really is. 
And so our praise begins with an acknowledgement that God exists and that he is amazing. And it's really only Christians can do that because it's only once we've been born again that we really see God for who he is. And so that praise starts inside of you through recognition and acknowledgement. And it's, it starts inside of you with your mind, your emotions, your spirit, your whole being, as you recognize the character, the existence, the attributes of God. And then there's this response of your whole being as you offer glory, adoration, and thanks to God in celebration of who he is and what he's done. And of course, as we go along, we're going to find evidence to show that these definitions are correct in the Bible. If you could just flip over once again. Let's move on to, um, to the NIV one. Do you notice the word joyful there? Well, I think it's very important that we don't miss out on that idea of joyfulness. Now, Wallace gives this excellent um, quote. He says, the whole of the Bible is punctuated with outbursts of praise. Now listen to this. They rise spontaneously from the basic mood of joy. Shouldn't that be our basic mood? Basic mood of joy which marks the life of the people of God. I just love that phrase. The basic mood of of joy that marks the life of the people of God. It's got a great ring to it. Because praise is an expression of joy. And that joy, this is key, its source is in God. Because let me tell you something. God has been enjoying himself right from day one. He has been overwhelmingly enjoying himself. How do we know this? Proverbs 8, verses 27 to 31. What's interesting about this these these verses is that they recognize wisdom as being one of the most prominent attributes of God when he was creating. So yes, it's amazing, you know, all his power while he was creating, um, all the knowledge, but all of that knowledge and all of that power was being applied in a very unique and special and wise way. And so the writer of of Proverbs personifies wisdom to emphasize the fact that this attribute was there when God was creating the world. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. And it goes on. And then in verse 30, we see the connection to joy. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. So, God's wisdom, particularly noticeable at creation, and then this overwhelming joy. And ever since then, that joy of God for creating things and doing things and working has been infecting creation. Have a look at this next one. This is God talking to Job. He's asking him questions about when the world was created, just reminding him that Job wasn't God. And then he gets to the end and he says, look what was happening while creation was happening. The morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Oh, I just wish that we would be infected with the joy of God, just as creation was, just as the angels were right at the beginning. 
So right at the start, that joy on the inside was expressed as celebratory praise of God and his amazing attributes and his work in creation. But man tried to destroy joy by allowing sin to enter into creation, into God's perfect creation. But let me tell you something. You can't suppress joy. The joy of the Lord, that joy that comes from the heart of God, there's no ways that you're going to suppress it. And so the coming of the kingdom of God into the world was marked by a restoration of joy and praise. Started off as he chose a man called Abraham. And then from that man, he built a people. And then those people ended up in bondage and slavery in Egypt, which was a type of the bondage and slavery that we experience before we come to God and before he saves us, before the kingdom of God breaks into our heart. But what happened on the day that God saved the people of Israel from Pharaoh's army? What did Moses and Miriam and everybody do? They just started singing right there on the banks of the, uh, of, the, of the waters. They just started singing, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and the rider thrown into the sea. And shaking their tambourines and dancing. What happened after the angels appeared to the shepherds to tell them about the birth of Jesus? Have a look there. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. They're praising God. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. They were celebrating because they knew that joy was being reestablished, that praise, genuine praise of God, was being reestablished on earth through the coming of Jesus Christ. And then what happened in heaven? after Jesus was slain. John tells us about it, have a look there. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Next slide. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and they worshiped. Folks, praise flowing from joy started at the beginning when God created the world. We try to kill it, and then God has been reestablishing praise and joy for mankind by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross. And so we participate in that praise, and in heaven they are rejoicing and they're praising. Don't you love those words from Amazing Grace? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less time to sing God's praise than when we first began. And yet, it beggars the imagination <laughs> And I'm guilty of this, and I have been guilty of it. I'm the first to admit it. Sometimes we'll arrive late to church. Sometimes we'll miss the praise and worship. Sometimes we'll stand there. And often our bodies tell us something, don't they? Just, how can we do that? <laughs> how can we do that? When this is like a dress rehearsal for eternity. When we've been there 10,000 years. So that's the definition of praise. Praise is something that starts inside you. It's 
um, have the next slide. As we recognize with joy the character and the attributes of God, if we have a true picture of what God is like, it must cause praise to well up in us, irrespective of what's going on in our lives. And then there is a response of our whole being, not just a thought, but an expression, maybe in song, ululating, dancing, raising our hands, as we express glory, adoration, and thanks to God. Why? Because we're celebrating who he is and what he's done. So that's, that's as best as I can do it, define praise for you. But what's the reason? Why do we praise? First of all, when Jesus declared his mission, remember he went to the synagogue in Nazareth, he stood up, opened the Bible to Isaiah 61, he read it, and then he said, this guys, this is my mission. This is what I've come to do. And it predicts that the Messiah is gonna do all sorts of amazing things, he's gonna set people free, he's gonna save them from the bondage of sin, and then right at the God, at the end, God reveals this mind-blowing purpose in salvation. And there it is. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before the nations. Why did God send Jesus? Why did he come to do all of those good things? It was so that righteousness, right standing with God, a, a correct reflection of God and his character in us, and praise could spring up before all nations. Next slide. And that's why Paul writes to the Ephesian church. I think we should personalize this. In him, you, every one of you, were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. What was the purpose of his will? Verse 12, in order that purpose statement, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. You see that? That's your reason for being, is to praise God. And so that's why Westminster Shorter Catechism begins. It's teaching doctrine by asking questions and giving answers. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You know, we have such a unique opportunity to do that on a Sunday morning. It doesn't exist during the rest of the week. We don't get the chance to be together as a family to declare the praises of God. And it's our purpose. It reminds us that this is our purpose. What about the next one? It's our purpose, it's also a consummation of joy or a completion of joy. And, and where this thought comes from is, is a, a short book written by C.S. Lewis, um, A Reflection on the Psalms. And there's a chapter inside of it where he talks about the, the, the connection between praise and joy. And basically what he says is, it, it goes something like this. If I enjoy something or someone, the only way that I can really complete that joy and experience it in all its fullness is by sharing it with somebody else. And I think we all know that. I mean, if you receive a funny meme or something, 
you actually really feel the full enjoyment of that meme once you've forwarded it to other people, maybe on social media, and they've commented on it. Or if you, get a, if you, if you hear a good joke, it's not enough just to tell yourself the joke, is it? Or to go and tell it to your dog? <laughs> you go and tell, you go tell your wife or your kids. Um, hopefully it's appropriate for them. <laughs> but, but you go and share the joke. You go, you go and tell it to somebody. I mean, I, I, I think of this often also when, uh, with motor cars, for example. It's often difficult. I don't know if you've experienced this. Um, I haven't owned, I think I've owned one brand new car. But you know, when I got that car, you were trying to be modest um, and, and not seem like you were boasting about it. But actually to really enjoy that car, you wanted to tell people about it. And uh, you wanted to take the family for a drive in it um, so that you could show off all its good qualities and attributes. And even when you're driving, I don't know if you've, if you've found this, when, when, I, when I drive to Inyanga, there's a particular view, just I think it's the other side of Rua, where you just look down this valley um, and it's full of masasa trees and it, it seems like you can look almost all the way to Inyanga. And I almost, I, I just almost have to every time say, wow, look at that amazing view as we drive past. Because my enjoyment of that view is completed when I share it with other people. And so that's why we praise together. And the implication is that by far and, and, by far and large, the, the best context for enjoying God and praising Him is with other people. Because then we do it all together and we get to see other people's faces and we get to declare to one another, Rich, isn't God amazing? Isn't He good? The horse and the rider were thrown into the sea. <laughs> right back then, God was planning to send Jesus and all of those thousands of years ago, he delivered his people from, and it's a picture of what, we're sharing it, we're chatting about it. So, why do we praise? First of all, to align ourselves to God's overarching purpose in creation and redemption, which is to cause praise to spring up before all nations. And we praise because praise springs from joy, and we're not going to experience the completeness of that joy unless we express it, and especially with other people. Then let's look at the next one. It's a pathway. Uh, next slide. Good. This is a, I love this psalm. Um, I always go back to it because it's so easy to remember the number of it. It's Psalm 100, and it's short. Um, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. Remember, we only truly know it once we're declaring it and sharing it and celebrating it together. It is he who made us, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And then have a look at the way we are to enter his presence. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So in the Old Testament, God chose to rule his kingdom from the temple in Jerusalem. It was that very special place called the Holy of Holies, and he chose his throne to be between the wings of the angels on the Ark of the Covenant. And so in those days, when you wanted to enter the presence of God, you had to come literally follow a pathway. You followed a pathway and you entered a gate and you went through courts and then you made sacrifices. And folks, this is a, this is a type 
of how we are to go along the pathway to God's presence. And so the way that we do it, yes, God does dwell in our hearts. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it's different to be in the presence of God and experiencing the presence of God, entering his presence. And the way that we do it is by thanksgiving and praise. You know, I was thinking about it. Um, You can coexist with somebody in the same house. We can coexist with God in in this temple of the Holy Spirit. With his spirit, we can coexist. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we have entered into his presence and positioned ourselves to receive all of the amazing things that we can get from him. You know, Matt, um, when Matt was at home, he coexisted with us. Thank God he also entered into our presence. And so he was able to experience what we had for him. Maybe it was wisdom. Maybe it was encouragement. Maybe it was love. But you've got to enter in. You've got to enter in to the presence of God. I hope you want to go there. And I hope that next week when we come together, we're going to be a little bit more focused on entering into the presence of God with thanksgiving in our hearts, entering into his courts with praise. So we praise God because it's our created purpose. It's a completion of joy. It's a pathway to God's presence. And then lastly, it is commanded. You know, in our picture from the Old Testament of going through the gates and entering the courts and then sacrificing, there is an element of sacrifice involved in praise. And that's why God commanded it. There are many examples of this in the Bible. Just have a look from the writings of Paul there. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard to you. So we don't know how many times he already told them to do that. But he's telling them again, rejoice in the Lord. Starting to come to the end of his letter. Philippians 4, just a bit further on. Rejoice in the Lord, back. Um, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Never forget that every command, even though it might seem difficult to fulfill, is for our own good. If you obey his command to praise, you will get to enjoy all the good things that we've been talking about because you'll enter into his presence. But if you disobey, if you disobey God's commands, eventually those commands will break you. That's what, that's what Jesus is like. He's either a, a stone on which a, an amazing temple can be built or he's a stone that people trip over. So let's not trip over his commands. <laughs> let's embrace them. But there's another reason why we're commanded to praise. And it's because quite often we just don't feel like it. And that's when praise becomes a sacrifice which glorifies and honors God more than we will ever know. I, I just wonder if we have an idea of how all of those small decisions of just choosing to praise God add up to produce something of great value and beauty one day when we get to heaven. I'm sure it's the case. Folks, you know, we can't sing we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord when it isn't costing us anything. Take a look at Job got to be the best example of this he's just lost all his possessions his servants have been slaughtered his children were all killed in a house that collapsed 
And yet he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and he the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Sometimes we're called to do that. Maybe not on the same scale. But it all starts with those little those little sacrifices. Can you imagine what it cost Job to praise God in this, in this way? I wonder if there's any way to measure how that sacrifice of praise glorified God. Because you know, his sacrifice of praise was witnessed, and it's the same for you, by more than just the people around you. Satan and his demons saw. Do you remember what it was like? Satan had been around roaming the earth, and he pitched up in front of God's throne, and... Uh, and God started having that conversation with him about Job. All the Satan, all the demons, all the angels, they saw Job doing this. Can you imagine how that must have glorified God? Remember Isaiah 61 that I mentioned earlier? Just, just look at what Jesus has come to do. Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Next slide. To comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. And this is for us folks, I think in particular today, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You see, Jesus wants to bestow a gift. He wants to give you a gift. You see what it is there? It's a garment of praise. But the thing is that we have to take off the spirit of despair and put on the garment of praise. And it will cost you something. But don't you think it'll be worth it? I mean, which would you rather have? The spirit of despair or the garment of praise? I know that Paul knew what he wanted. Do you remember when he was in that Philippian prison? He'd just been publicly beaten. Can you imagine the humiliation of it with rods? His back was torn to pieces. He ends up in, a, in the innermost cell, the smelliest, dirtiest, wettest, dankest smell in the prison, smell cell in the prison. He's in the stocks, and we all know what he did. What did he do? He spent the night with Silas praising God. And that occasion, it only took the two of them to honor and to glorify God. Spent the night praising. I know that things are tough in Zimbabwe, and I get that. But I wonder if you realize what an opportunity you have to bring a sacrifice of praise. Something that really means something to God. Something that is really going to show God in all his wonder and his splendor to the people around you. Folks, praise is one of the ways that God has ordained for us to plug in to his infinite source of life and joy and enthusiasm. He's having such a good time. His creation is so enthusiastic. Don't you love the way the leaves start to sprout even before the rains come? The trees start to produce flowers even before the rains come. It's a picture of God's enthusiasm. It's irrepressible. And 
it's available to us if we will just sharpen the ax, if we will just make the sacrifice of praise, if we will make the most of our opportunity to meet on a Sunday morning. So praise is our purpose. It's what we were created for. God wants praise to spring up here in this area. He wants it to spring up all over the world. He wants it to complete our joy. <laughs> we need to, people who, to be people who are glad, who find great satisfaction and joy in God. It's a pathway to the presence of God. And in the presence of the Lord, what is there? Fullness of joy, energy and power, there's enthusiasm, there's wisdom, there's guidance, there's comfort, all of the things that we need. And so it's no wonder that praise is commanded. It's for our own good. And we mustn't ignore his commands because we do so at our peril. Remember, we don't want Jesus to be that block that we stumble over, but rather that block that becomes the cornerstone of a temple that brings praise and honor and glory to God. Shall we praise? Pray. <laughs> or maybe we'll do both. <laughs> Our Father God, we're so grateful that you are such a glad, enthusiastic God. Um, we know that we've given you such a hard time over, this, over the, <laughs> this, the, de- the millenniums. Lord, we've tried to suppress your joy Father, when we think of what you must witness, the, the young girls being trafficked, people being tortured, all of those horrible things that we've introduced because we rebelled against you, and yet it hasn't, it hasn't overcome your joy. And you've been making plans for thousands of years to reestablish the kingdom so that your joy can flood back into creation, so that instead of groaning, creation is rejoicing. And uh, Father, we, we recognize that this is part of our purpose. And Father, please forgive us when we haven't worshiped you and praised you as we should. Please forgive us when we've, we've treated it lightly, um, when figuratively we've just kind of slumped and maybe folded our, our arms. Lord, help us. Help us this week um, to learn how to be much better praises and uh, we pray that we ask that praise would spring up all over Harari as a result of these people having heard this message of a result of our body going out doing what you called us to do we ask these things in Jesus name Amen